Good morning, Church, and warm greetings to you who are gathered in this sanctuary, as well as for those who continue to log in online. I would say it is wonderful to see you, but also a bit strange because it has been so long. I was outside by the table collecting my thoughts and seeing some of you walking in. Some saw me, gave me a wave, I waved back. Some I could recognize, some not too sure who it is because, you know, you can't see the whole face. But it is indeed a privilege to be here and to be able to share the word of the Lord with all of us. Would you pray with me? Father, we ask that as we come before you, that you would impress upon us of your grace, your mercy, your providence, your protection you have bestowed upon us. We come to you seeking your word and asking your spirit to open our hearts, our minds, our eyes to behold the wondrous truth from your law and that to apply them to our lives, to glean the lessons that which is contained in Scripture that you have preserved for us. I pray that the words of my mouth, the meditations of all our hearts will be acceptable in your sight. Through Jesus, we pray. Amen. As I was walking in this morning and I saw the worshippers, in my mind, most of them are wearing white. And I asked Jane, is there a colour coat? And Jane waved me away. Uncle, you can wear anything you want. Okay, that's fine. I wore black. Usually, I don't pick what I wear. I just go to the cupboard where Jay Lee puts the shirt. I just go to the right-hand side and just take one. But today, I pick. And the reason is, Samuel chapter 4 is a very low point. It's a dark, dark chapter in Israel's history. As we have heard of the reading, it speaks of terrible losses in the battle, the loss of Eli's two sons, Eli himself, and the Ark of God. So I thought, being such a dark chapter, I would mourn, in a sense. And earlier in the week when Jane emailed or texted, emailed, Uncle, what song? And I think Pastor Shen also asked, what song? Kind of hard to pick a song with a message surrounding by, surrounded by tragedies and darkness and death. 
that we depict a song. And I think Jane is going to lead this as our closing song. I chose the title as Unrepentance and Unwise Choices. These are two very fundamental and related themes that stands out in chapter 4. They are related because the unrepentance as seen even in the priesthood of Eli's two sons trickling down to the whole nation of Israel to the elders. They were in sin but they did not repent. And due to the unrepentance in their hearts, we see chapter 4 unfolding in tragic consequences, brought about by their unwise choices as a result of sin that is undealt with, sin that is unrepented. I tried to put together a statement of a big idea. Let me just read. It's about choosing religious rituals and traditions or even practices instead of choosing a relationship with Christ. And this is folly. In other words, it's the choices that we make that will become us. And I pray that as we go through this chapter, we will learn to make wiser choices than what was read for us in chapter 4 of 1 Samuel. So verse 1, the first part reads, And Samuel's word came to all Israel. The thing is, the next time that we will read about Samuel is in chapter 7, verse 3. Subsequent chapters prior to chapter 7 talks about the war, the battles, the going-ons. So that could be the reason why in the book of Samuel, the prime prophet and judge was mentioned so fleetingly in these beginning chapters of the book. So we read that there was a battle, there were two battles actually in chapter 4 with the Philistines of their defeat on both occasions, the numbers of soldiers that were killed the ark that was captured, and the fate of Eli's sons, as prophesied, was fulfilled. They died on the same day. And upon reaching Eli, the news of this Benjamite runner, Eli, to collapse. And if you read carefully, it's not upon hearing that his sons 
were killed, but that the ark of God was captured. Samuel's spiritual leadership in Israel marks a major shift in Israel's history. This is the time where the judges appointed by God comes to an end with Eli himself as the last judge as well as God's mouthpiece, God's prophet. And it also marks the beginning of a different era of Israel where Israel will have a king. And Samuel is used by God to identify and anoint King Saul, as we shall read in the later chapters. It is a start of an era of revival brought about by changes and repentance of sin and a return to God because of their acknowledgement of their sin in chasing after idols of the people that they have conquered in the land of Canaan but have taken after the gods of those people. So this is such a period of Israel's history, a turning point. Quite often, before a revival takes place, God in His wisdom and His timing in this particular instance in Israel's history chooses to expose to the very core the sin of Israel and of their rebellious and adulterous practices. Chapter 4 records the brutal impact of sin on Israel, as I have mentioned, the deaths, the battle, the losses. And that is in part due to the failure of Eli and that of his sons, being the priests, being the spiritual leaders of the nation of Israel. As I was going through this, a thought came to my mind. I can't remember a lot of things today, but I remember this phrase. And it says, I'm not sure whether I quote it correctly, but it says, it is often darkest before the dawn. In chapter 4, it's a very, very dark time in Israel's history. And that got me to ponder as I was sitting outside. Our country, Malaysia, are also in dark times. A lot of things that we have prayed about to lift the integrity of the nation 
mired in corruption, in unrighteous acts, where right becomes wrong, when true becomes false. It could well be that God in His wisdom has allowed us as a nation to come into such times of darkness before the dawn. So Israel waged war without seeking God, without consulting Samuel. And the sins of Eli's sons went unchecked, not by the people, neither by Eli. 30,000 soldiers perished in the second battle, with Eli's two sons themselves killed, the ark captured, and towards the end of the reading, Eli fell off from his chair and died. 30,000 soldiers perished. Numbers sometimes doesn't sink in the magnitude. 30,000 is a huge number to lose in terms of soldiers or personnel in war or in battle, in any war at any time in history. 30,000 young men. In chapter 2 of Samuel 6, uh, Second book of Samuel, chapter 6, verse 1, allow me to refer to my notes. This is a time when David ascended the throne and became king of all Israel. And David brought together all the able young men of Israel, 30,000 in all. All the able young men in the nation of Israel numbered to 30,000. On this day, in chapter 4, that same number perished. David took the 30,000 men, went to Baalah to bring back the Ark of God. And I wonder if there's any significance. 30,000 perished when the ark was captured. And 30,000 accompanied David to bring back the ark. So we read that Samuel's word has come in verse 1. But Samuel's word was not sought for. Israel did not go to him for godly counsel. And in Judges 21.15, it reads, Israel had no king. And indeed, at that time, there was no king. And everyone did as they saw fit. One commentator and I quote him, 
they chose to take things into their own hands. May God grant us wisdom that we do not follow in such folly. The first question I will pose to us is this. What lessons can we take to heart from Israel's folly of unrepentance and unwillingness to seek God's guidance in their actions? And for children online, as you can see a couple of small hits in the distance, is there anything you should ask of God that you want to do before you do it? So we will take two minutes. Okay, let's move on. Still in verse 1. Don't, don't worry, I'm not going to go through every verse. Now the Israelites went out to fight against the Philistines, and that Israel was defeated by the Philistines. So in this first battle, 4,000 were killed. Now, it is not clear if the Philistines started the conflict, although there were commentators on either side attesting to the Philistines who were immigrants coming into the land of Canaan in greater and greater strength and started the conflict. But the point here is not who started the conflict. So while that is not clear, it is crystal clear that Israel did not seek God before they engaged in the conflict. Verse 3, the elders of Israel asked, Why did the Lord bring defeat on us today before the Philistines? Why? You know, as, as, as I read this, it's as if they were so incredulously shocked or surprised that they lost. And in a manner of speaking, it's as if they were blaming God 
God, why? Why did you bring defeat on us? They were totally surprised and unaware and were not able to connect their own unrepentance of sin to the fact that God is no longer blessing them, going with them and fighting for them. The other thing to note is that the elders only referred to the Lord when they were defeated. We never read that they sought the Lord before they engaged the Philistines in battle. So the Lord bring defeat on us. That much is true. That much is true. Victory or defeat is in the hands of God. In their next breath, they said, let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant that he may go with us and save us. They were probably recalling either through traditions or memory of the time of Joshua in chapter 6, where the priests carried the ark around the city of Jericho seven times, and the city walls fell. So, the elders decided to look into the tradition and the rituals of the past and come up with this idea and say, let us. It is their idea. They did not consult God. Let us bring the ark of the Lord's covenant. So instead of seeking God to restore or at least to check their relationship with God and to see if there's any sin that is causing them to go into defeat. They resorted to rituals, traditional practices. The New King James Version and several other versions has it written this way, when it comes among us, it may save us. The NIV uses he. Whether he or it, honestly, I think there's no difference. By bringing the ark and depending on the ark, the elders and the Israelites I would be able to say that they are manipulating God. They think that if the ark is brought into the battle, they would force God to fight for them. And we know the outcome of that folly. So they sent for the ark in Shiloh and Eli's two sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were with the ark. Verse 5, when the Ark of the Lord's Covenant came into camp, all Israel raised such a great shout that the ground shook. 
one of the songs, Jane was like exhorting us to, come on, sing, shout. I don't think the ground shook. But on that day, when the soldiers saw the ark of the God coming into their camp, there was an earth-shaking moment. I don't know, have you ever been in an environment where people were shouting so loudly for whatever reason that the ground shook? As I was sitting outside, I saw a brother wearing the Liverpool t-shirt coming into the sanctuary. And I told him, you'll never walk alone. I was in Anfield, but not when the men's team were playing. It was the women's team. But looking at videos, when the crowd roars and shouts, I can just imagine and as I read scripture, the bloodthirsty shout of Israel's soldiers shook the ground. The ark is come. Their spirits were lifted. Fresh blood flew into their veins. They gripped their spears, their shield, their swords ever tighter, rearing, chomping the bit to go into battle with the Philistines, sure of victory. But is God with them? Obviously, they were mistaken. Let me read this quotation for you. Now, beloved, when you are worshipping God, shout if you are filled with holy gladness if the shout comes from your heart, I would not ask you to restrain it. God forbid that we should judge any man's worship. But do not be so foolish as to suppose that because there is a loud noise, there must also be faith. Faith is a still water. It flows deep. True faith in God may express itself with leaping and with shouting, and it is a happy thing when it, when it does. But it can also sit still before the Lord. And that, perhaps, is a happier thing still. Some of you may be familiar with this name, Charles Spurgeon. A Baptist preacher. I've read parts of some of his books. A great theologian. Let us move on. Verse 6 to 9. In summary, the Philistines feared the Ark of the Covenant. They heard, they heard the shout, the earth-shaking movement when the soldiers at the camp of their enemies were shouting, God has come into the camp. Woe to us. These are the gods who struck the Egyptians. 
conduct yourselves like men and fight. I, I tried to place myself in the Israeli camp. Clearly, looking back at Scripture, clearly, instead of turning to God directly, seeking forgiveness in the first battle, that they did not seek the word from Samuel. But instead, they turned to the symbol that represented God rather than God himself. They turned to the ark. The ark can be moved. God, not so easy. The ark can be manipulated. Not so, God. God is more difficult. And so, they chose the ark over God. The Philistines feared Israel's gods and fought all the harder. They had no choice. Faced with the insurmountable God that they know of Israel's history, of how Israel's God delivered the people, they are now faced with such a God. And the captain would have told them, fight, be men. The Israelites, on the other hand, who were shouting and praising, they were emboldened with the presence of the ark. Not sure whether God is there. They were overconfident. They had made their choice. And, and allow me to lay it out before you. You have two groups, two armies. The Philistines, perceiving there's a God in the camp of Israel, exhorted the soldiers to be men and fight all the harder because they cannot depend on anyone but themselves. The Israelites had the mistaken understanding that just because they have brought the Ark of the Covenant with them, that God is going to fight for them. And in their overconfidence, there's no need to fight, to be men. After all, God is with them. So all things being equal, the Philistines were fighting in their minds not only against the Israelite army, but their God as well. So they fought tooth and nail. The Israelites think they had God on their side. They were mistaken. Did not fight as hard. And it is not a surprise that the Philistines defeated them, utterly decimated them. Israel's sins had made them lose sight of God. They no longer seek God. They no longer wholly trust in Him. But in artifacts, in the ark, 
in traditions, in rituals. They trusted in their own devices, their own wisdom. And what is the greatest representation of God? It is none other than the Ark of the Covenant. So they turn to the Ark and exchange God for a ritual. I quote from another Bible commentator. He says this, Those who know God go to Him to seek for an ever-deepening relationship. Those who know about God go to religion to seek comfort in religious rituals and practices. Question two. In the light of what we have heard, how can we strengthen our relationship with Jesus to avoid trusting in rituals and religious objects such as crucifixes, holy water, even holding up the Bible? Objects, not God. And for the children, when you are scared or in trouble, how can you trust more and more in Jesus and less and less on other people or things as you grow up? We'll take about two minutes. Okay, we have a timer. In verse 10, in verse 11, the Israelites lost. 
and 30,000 soldiers fell. The ark of the Lord was captured, and Eli's two sons were, were killed. Excuse me. In, in reality, they have lost more in terms of men and resources than before they took the ark into battle. Just think about this. They lost 4,000 men in the first battle. Then they brought in the ark, thinking that they would win. And now they lost 30,000 soldiers and the ark itself that they depended on to win was lost. Imagine the utter disaster when the very thing you depend upon falsely, of course, in this case, but the thing you most pin your hope upon is itself lost. That's how crushing the defeat of Israel was that day. Israel had made an idol of the ark and God dealt with it by removing that idol. The Philistines thought they have captured Israel's God. But as we read in subsequent chapters, you will realize that God, in due course of time, dealt terribly with the Philistines and their so-called gods in the temple until they set the Ark of the Covenant on an ox cart and sent it back to Israel. Our God does not need our protection. Let me say that again. Our God does not need our protection. Eli's two sons died on the same day as promised by God in his ultimate judgment on the house of Eli because of their sins. You can read that in chapter 2, verse 34. I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will do according to what is in my heart and mind. And that is in reference to Samuel. Meaning to say that Eli and his sons did not do according to what is in God's heart and mind. They did what is in their own hearts and minds. So may we be careful that whatever we do, we should do it in prayer and in consultation with God. To know the will of God and to abide by it. The subsequent verse 12 to 21, the Benjamite who ran all the way from the battle to Shiloh told Eli his son's death and the ark of God was captured. And he collapsed and died. And Phineas' wife went into labor, birthed a son and called him Ichabod and died. 
the name signifying the glory had departed from Israel. The birth of a baby is almost always a thing of joy. But not on that day. And the name that was given to that baby, that son, Ichabod or Ichabod, he will carry for the rest of his life as a living monument, attesting to the failure of Israel and the defeat and the loss of the ark and the end of the priesthood in Eli's household. The glory has departed from Israel. The glory of God had departed, but not because the ark was captured, as was read for us. The ark was captured because the glory of God had already departed. When Israel in their sins consulted not God, but acting in their own wisdom, brought the ark into the battleground, thinking that God will be with them. Was God worried? What of his name? What about the ark? I say, nay, no. God was just about to show his glory through Samuel. Remember, it is darkest just before the dawn. God did not lose anything by allowing this to happen. God remains God, the I am whom I am. The Philistines did not gain anything by it. In fact, if you read the next few chapters, they lost and they had to send the ark away. Israel, considering all things, gained in the longer run much more good than hurt because it took this dark, brutal defeat to wake them up, to turn back to the Lord, which you shall see in the later parts of Samuel. So the condition for the glory of God to return is that Israel must first repent and return to God. And somewhere in this story, there's a lesson for those in spiritual leadership. But that is another sermon. I'll skip quickly over to chapter 7. The ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim for a long time, 20 years in all. Then all the people of Israel turned back to the Lord. So Samuel said to all the Israelites, If you are returning to the Lord with all your hearts, then rid yourselves of these foreign gods, the Astoreths, and commit yourselves to the Lord and serve Him only, and He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. I just want to draw your attention. This period of darkness is at least 20 years 
So dear friends, God's timing cannot be hurried on. Sometimes God tells us, wait, the sin is not yet ripe. In this case, 20 years. For Samuel to turn the nation around that they would forsake the foreign gods and play the harlot and their idolatrous practices to be purged and serve the Lord and the Lord only. Then the glory of the Lord shall return. So Ichabod at that time would be in his early 20s. Maybe that also is another sermon. The last question, it appears that Israel has lost it all. The battle, the ark of God, the entire line of the priesthood of Eli. But God is working through his faithful servant Samuel to restore glory. Now, how can this encourage us to continually seek God even when he seems remote, silent? And for the children, how can you keep trusting God, whatever happens or not happen? Stay with God. We'll take two minutes. You know, two minutes appears quite long. Twenty years of darkness, of unrepentance, 
far, far too long. Know this, continually seeking God even when He appears silent is very important. Be assured that He remains faithful to His people and He will restore things in His time. Do trust in Him and not in religious rituals or traditions. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the precious lessons that we have learned from this dark period in Israel's history, born by the loss and shedding of blood and the taking away of your glory because of the nation's sins and unrepentance and poor choices. We pray, Lord, that you will arm us with this knowledge and understanding and bring conviction to our hearts and minds. And we ask your Spirit to search our hearts and minds that if we have turned away from our relationship with you and have chosen to grasp and depend on rituals and objects and practices, we ask your Spirit will so convict us and turn us aright so that we can establish and nurture and grow our relationship with Christ Jesus, our Master, our Saviour, our Alpha and Omega. In you, we would trust and serve all the days of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' matchless name. Amen.